on, give the Lord some praise this morning. Amen. Well, we're going to kind of pick up uh, a little bit where Pastor Sean ended on last week. And um, she was talking about family. As you know, the month of January is, is when we're talking about building strong families. And the reality of it is, is that it is, if we want to have a strong church, the building block of strong churches are strong families. Uh, if you can build strong families, then you can build strong relationships. And if you can build strong relationships, then you can build strong relationships within the church, which in turn causes the church to be strong. And so one of those aspects that we want to talk about this morning is the aspect of marriage. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, I'm not married, so this message is not for me. Actually, if you're not married, this message is really for you. It is really for you because what you don't want to do is have to learn everything through experience. Amen? How many of you know that they say experience is the best teacher, but that ain't always the case? Amen? You don't have to stick your hand on the stove and know that it's hot. You can see somebody do it and go, you know what? Oh, well, no parts of that. And so the reality of it is, is that even in marriage, you can see what good marriage looks like, and you can see what bad marriage looks like, and you can learn from both. Amen? And so we want to talk a little bit about possessing the promise of an amazing marriage. Uh, Pastor Sean gave you lots of uh, good information last week about uh, relationships in general, and all of those things are true. Uh, and I want us to kind of just dig in to really begin to talk about our marriages, because I believe that if there's one area that the enemy would love to attack the church, it is through marriages. You know, people, uh, when, when, when the issue of, of gay marriage first came out, uh, one of the things that people, evangelical people said, was that if we allow people who are gay to be married, it was going to destroy the traditional family. Can I help you for just a moment? Do you know that the divorce rate, the divorce rate prior to gay marriage being approved for Christians was right about 50%? Do you know what it is today? About 50%. People being gay and getting married didn't have nothing to do with your marriage. Okay, we, we got to throw that out there. Because if you want to blame somebody else for your marriage, then your marriage will never get fixed. If, in fact, the only people that are responsible for your marriage is you and your partner. And the reality of it is, is we have to get rid of all of these excuses about why marriage doesn't work. One of the things I'm going to talk a lot about today, and I know it doesn't seem, the best word I use when I talk about it, it doesn't seem sexy. There are some things sexy in the word. You know, you start talking about prosperity. Prosperity is sexy. People like hearing about prosperity. You start talking about prosperity, people perk up. You know, they start looking around. You start talking about you next in line to be blessed. That's sexy. That's sexy kind of preaching right there. You start talking about healing and getting delivered and set free. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. That's sexy. I want to talk about vision. I want to talk about vision. I want to talk about the thing that if you don't tackle, It'll never get done in your life. There are some things that if you're not intentional about, they just never happen for you. If you're not intentional, they just never fulfill. The, the destiny of that thing is never fulfilled. And so Pastor Sean started last week with Amos 3 and 3, so I thought, what a great place to start. It says, how can two walk together except what? They'll agree. How can two people walk simultaneously, step to step, in line, unless they agree how they're going. You, you remember when you was a little kid and you had your best friend and you and your best friend was walking together? Every now and then y'all would be walking and one of y'all would skip a step so y'all could be in line. Y'all ever done that? You ever done that? 
everybody's done it. If you get, unless you just grew up friendless, everybody has had a friend where y'all were walking somewhere, and y'all was walking, and you saw that other foot, so you did this, so y'all walking step in step. And when you did it, you felt good about it. Now think about it. Y'all was going the same direction. What felt so good about having your same foot hit the ground at the same time? Because it's about unison. And that's the same way it feels in marriage. There are times in your marriage where if you're, if you're, if you're careful and you're diligent about it, you can be on such sync that marriage feels good. But in the same awkwardness that it feels if my foot's here and their other foot is there or we're not on step, that, as awkward as that feels, that's how your marriage gets feel. And so one of the things that we believe in is not having awkwardness in our marriages. Amen? In fact, say, say I declare there will be no awkwardness in the marriages at Fellowship of Champions. Oh, you ought to go ahead and give God some praise for that already. Amen? Now, why is marriage important? It's one of the first things that God instituted in the book of Genesis. So let's go to the book of Genesis. And we don't have a screen today, so that means you got to get your phone out, get your Bible out. I want you to actually go with me in the book of Genesis. And I want us to go to Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to read a little bit. I just want you to just, just keep up with me. Just see some of these things. Because I want to show you that marriage, you know, there's a report out there that says that 60% of all millennials say that they have no interest in being married. Now, I don't blame them. I blame the group that went before them. I, I don't blame millennials for saying, you know what, I don't want no part of that. Because if all I ever saw was wrecked marriages, why would I want to be a part of that? Especially when you, when, you, when, you, when you see so many examples of people who aren't married who seem to be happier than those who are. Now, let's just be real. The reality was is that it was never God's intention for man or woman to be alone. It was never God's intention. Now, if you are alone, you ought to be content in that until God brings you the person he wants for you. But it, it is clearly in Scripture to show that God never intended for man to be alone. I'll tell you why he didn't intend for man to be alone. God knew that if he left man alone on the earth, he'd tear it up. No, that's what, how do I know? Because he says he, he created woman, why? So she would be a help me, so he wouldn't tear stuff up. That, 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 that's just, that is the reason that women are very careful about not leaving their children with their dads by themselves, even if they're good dads. Because we, women throw their women do their babies like this. Men do this. <laughs> that, that, that's true. That's true. That's what we do. And then we do. And then we get fish and go. <laughs> and turn that's what we do. So the Lord said, "I gotta give that brother somebody who's gonna say to him, do 'Don't throw my baby up in the air like that.'" So in Genesis, <laughs> chapter 1, verse 26, it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, and let us make man after our likeness. So man is made after the image of God. And if you begin to read this, you see that in chapter 2, it says in, chapter, in verse 7, it says, God formed man of the dust of the ground, and then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. It says that man became a living soul. So God thought about man, but then he formed man. So mankind has always been on God's mind. And if God and if mankind has always been on God's mind, then the institution of marriage has always been on God's mind. 
And so in chapter 8, in verse, in verse 8, it says, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. He then talks about all the things that he put in the garden. I think this is important because the Bible says he put gold in the garden. There were pearls in the garden. There were, there, were, there were precious stones and precious minerals. He put all that stuff in the garden, but yet that wasn't enough to satisfy man. Man still had a longing, even though he had all that stuff. And the reality of it is, is that it don't matter how many things men have, men collect things to attract women. That, that, that's true. If y'all didn't care about a nice car, we wouldn't. If y'all didn't care about a nice house, we wouldn't. If y'all didn't care, we call my hair every day, we'd be like, you know, we skip a day. We... We care about things because y'all care about them. God intended it that way. He put Adam in a place where everything was perfect, but it didn't mean nothing because he didn't have anybody to share it with. And so we find this in, in chapter 2, in verse number 15, it says, And the Lord God took the man, and he put him into that garden he had made. He gave him the assignment. He said, Your assignment is to dress it and to keep it. In other words, Adam's first job was to be a CEO. He said, your job is to maintain this garden, to keep it, to tend to it, to make it grow. The, you, the first thing I got to make sure is you can take care of a garden, because if you can't take care of a garden, you can't take care of a woman. So in, rela- so in relationships, ladies, in relationship, ladies, you can always find out how he's going to care for you, how he cares for the things that he has. He only has the things because he wants to impress you. How he takes care of them is indicative of how he take care of you. Y'all ain't going to say that. Listen, if that brother don't keep his shoes nice, don't keep his clothes pressed, I don't care how much they cost. If, if, he, don't keep his, if he don't keep his things tidy, he's going to have a hard time taking care of you. But Adam clearly must have did a good job. Because he did such a good job that the Lord came back to him later and he said, yo, Adam, you did such a great job. I have another assignment for you. The second assignment for you is I'm going to scoop this dirt out the ground. I'm going to form it into a shape and whatever you call it, that's what it's going to be. So the Bible said that literally Adam and God spent time where God was scooping dirt out of the ground. He was putting it before Adam and Adam was like, giraffe. He was like, giraffe it is. He scoops some more. He said, what it? Camel. Camel it is. He scoops some more. A rhinoceros. Rhinoceros it is. He said, what's the next thing? Lions, tigers, bear. Oh, my. Adam just naming all of this stuff. He just naming all of this stuff. You understand? And Adam did such a good job. Now, think about it. Adam is seeing all of these animals being formed. And he's seeing all of these animals being formed. And each one of them had a representative of his kind of a different gender. So the elephant over there booed up. The monkeys over there hugging each other. And God said, there is not a suitable mate for Adam. The birds didn't do it. The fish didn't do it. The beast didn't do it. He said, what's going to be good enough for Adam? The Bible says that God looked around and all he could think of was that he had to pull the best thing in Adam out of Adam. As a woman, y'all should be clapping right now. He pulled the best thing Adam had out of Adam. The Bible says he calls it deep sleep. And I've often wondered, why did he make him go to sleep? 
People say, well, he performed surgery. I think he made Adam go to sleep so that Adam didn't have no input. <laughs> because we would, Adam would have messed it up. Adam would have been like, oh, she got to be tall, Lord. No, 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 Adam, I know what you need. Oh, but she got to look like you. No, 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 Adam, I got this. And sometimes in life, God is telling us, listen, I know what you need, but you keep trying to give God input. You just need to go to sleep. You just need to go to sleep and let God give you who he's going to give you because he knows what's best for you. I'm preaching better than you saying amen. So then he says over here in verse number two, around verse number 18, he says, and the Lord God said it is not good man should be alone. He says, I will make him a what? Help me for him. He says, and out of the ground, the Lord began to form all those things we talked about. But then look here at verse 20, verse 25. Well, verse 21, it says, and the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh instead thereof. It says, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man he a, he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now what? Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of me. Whoa, man. Whoa, man. So literally in relationships, we have to remember, especially those of us that are married, when we are looking at our spouses, we're supposed to be in wonderment when we look at them. We should be in wonder. Now, what does that mean to be in wonder? To wonder means to be in awe. It means to be struck. It means to be uh, in amazement. Not, 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 and, and not about their beauty, but what was the purpose of God? I mean, all that's good, but what was the purpose? What was the vision for which God created a woman? So that man could have a help meet. Now, having a help meet is not always wonderful. Or at least it don't feel wonderful. Let's just be real. Because when you want to do something a certain way, and someone is trying to explain to you that you have to do it that way, and you are so set in your ways, and they're trying to get you to be out of your way, that's pushing you. But you have to remember what the purpose of God putting two people together was so they will become one, so that they are better together than they were apart. And that is the purpose, and that's how we get to this point of having this promise of an amazing so we said in Amos 3 and 3, it says, can two walk together except they agree? The New Living Translation says it like this. Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction that they're going? That's so key in marriage. Can two people be headed in the same direction if they're not in agreement of where they're going? That's the reason. And, and, and there's going to be lots of football games played today. And I guarantee you that in each one of those games, they're going to have a moment where they're going to have to go to something called instant replay. Now, what's the point in going to instant replay? They want to make sure they get the call correct. They want to make sure that the call they call on the field is actually the call that needs to be called, right? It says, how can two people agree unless they're headed in the same direction? So on instant replay, they don't just have one person making the decision. They got somebody in the playbook. They got the referees looking at it. They talking about it. Why? Because they want to make sure that the thing that happened really happened. That's why in relationships, you've got to communicate. How many, how many times has there been, not just in your marriage, but even with your friends, even with your mom, with your dad, with your cousins, whoever, your boss, that you have had a communication and both of y'all walked away thinking something different? If, if it's not a meeting of a mind, 
then it's very difficult for two people to walk into the same direction. And Pastor Sean talked last week, and she talked about a lot of different things about walking in the same direction. You know, when we talk about marriage, it's important that you walk in the same direction about how important it is to save money. Some people are savers. Some people are spenders. You've got to know that in your relationship. And you don't even have to know it to try to change the other person. You just have to know it so that you can work around it. Because over the, t- over the years, I've become a little more of a spender, and she's become a lot more of a saver. So sometimes you may be on these extremes, but you end up working together and you end up balancing yourself to the middle so you can walk together in the same agreement. And how many know you may agree about some things very easily, but other things you got to work through? Like, for instance, I was talking to a couple of the day. The girl originally decided that she wanted to have kids when they got married. He wanted to have kids. They've been married about seven years. He's ready to have kids. Now she don't think she wants none. Those are things you have to continuously talk about. Because she didn't wake up in year seven and go, I don't want kids. She started thinking about that in year two and year three. And when she got a promotion, she thought about it some more. And year four and year five. And then, and then she went on birth control and he didn't know. And then year six. If two people are not headed in the same direction, there cannot be agreement. In marriage, there must be agreement. Say that. Say in marriage. There must be agreement. Even if the agreement is to understand the disagreement. Because there are times that Pastor Sean and I simply do not see eye to eye. What we do decide, though, is that I'm fine with the way you see it as long as you're fine with the way I see it. And we'll come together and make a decision about this particular decision, but we don't see it the same way. But there has to be some kind of agreement, amen? So here's the question. How can couples resolve their differences on such important issues? The answer lies in one word. You must have a vision. You must have a vision for your marriage. Couples who are able to define a clear vision for their marriage find that the arguing and the fighting over key issues is greatly diminished. There are always going to be conversations, crucial conversations. But I can tell you that there were times that literally I was just hoping that me and Pastor Sean could make it three days without a big blow up. Just three days. And I was back to six years ago. Years ago. So years ago. But listen, I'm telling you, when we first started working on this, we had to have goals. We had to have a vision. And it may sound funny to you, but at the time, our vision was, can we make it three days without cussing each other out? That was the vision. That was the, y'all like, oh my God. Y'all, don't listen. It's a vision. We had to start where we were. And then once we were consistent, we made it three days, it was like, okay, can we go five? It took a while, but once we get to five, (laughs) then we said, okay, can we make it, can we we make it two weeks? And then literally, I remember our vision was, if there's 31 days in the month, can we make it 16 of them? They didn't got to be in a row. Just 16 of those can we make it. And then before you know, we started making it 16 days. Then it was like, baby, let's go for a month. And, and, and now, literally, we can go through the course of a year, and we really may only have really two conversations where, you know, she wrong. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean just, just, just maybe two. Just maybe two, you know? Just maybe two. Just two. You know, but other than, other, other than that, we good. Now look, Proverbs, <laughs> Proverbs 29 and 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. I like this translation out of the God's Word translation. It says, Without prophetic vision, people run wild. 
without a prophetic vision, people run wild. The message translation says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. They stumble all over themselves. It says, but when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. In other words, where there is no vision, anything can happen. There's a scripture that talks about, about strife. And it says we have to get rid of strife in relationships because if you don't, strife, is, 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 it, it allows all unruliness to come into the house. One translation says like this, if you don't get rid of strife, it's like taking the front door off its hinges and let everything in the world come into your house. Now, I don't know about you, but I hate flies. Anybody else can't stand flies, mosquitoes, little bugs like that? Me and Pat Sean, when we, when we walk during the summertime and stuff, we go to Lake Fayetteville, when it, when it, when it, when it gets dust and that first bug touches me, I'm like, oh, I'm done. I'm gone. I, 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 I can't stand it. We, we got to go. I can't stand bugs. So, the, so, so that scripture for me gave me an idea that if I don't deal with strife, it's like me taking the doors off and saying, okay, all these little bugs, just, oh, it just made me just crawl right now. Just, oh, oh, Lord Jesus, I, I can't take it. All those bugs just get all over you. And I'm like, no, Lord, I don't want a relationship that feels like that. Amen? Listen, the word vision here means to have mental insight. It means to have the ability to see a goal or a destination. It is the act of imagination. Remember, we said that man is tripartite being, right? We said that man is a spirit, that man has a body, but man also possesses a soul. We then have broken that soul down into five different areas. We've done it many, many times. It's the mind, will, emotions, imagination, and intellect. Vision comes from that part of you that lets you imagine. Imagination is something that is so powerful and the reality of it is, is we almost rip it out of kids as they grow up when we really ought to be adding to it. Imagination gives you the ability. Listen, we are, we, I remember when, when, we, when we were first trying to get a house. I mean, we, my, my mother hadn't owned a house. My, my, we, most, of her, most of my mom's brothers and sisters didn't own a house. They rented where they lived or whatever. Pastor Sean's grandmother had owned a house, but, but her mother and uncle, they, they, they had all rented. And so it sounds foreign to you maybe, but to us, this idea of getting a house was like, wait, but we're going to buy a house. In fact, it was so new that we didn't even understand when they said buy a house, it wasn't like buying a piece of candy. Because when you buy a piece of candy, you give them all the money for the candy, and then you get the candy. We was like, how are we going to come up with $119,000? We were like, we didn't, even, we didn't even know that that ain't, that ain't how you buy a house. Well, you can, but we didn't know that that's what, that's the, that wasn't what people were doing. And so literally, we just started talking about it. We, we were going, man, I don't know how we're going to do it. And literally, we got to talking to Pastor Tony and Pastor Cynthia and listening to Pastor Dollar. And when he began to explain how you got to dream about things, then we started going to visit houses. We were, I mean, people thought we were crazy. We would just go house to house to house to house. And I'm telling you, the more we envisioned it, the more real it became. And I know that, that, that we want to be so intellectual and we want to be so smart and so studious, but sometimes the best thing you can do is spend some time imagining. Some of the best thing you can do, is, and I don't just mean hoping and wishing, you know, like, 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 like people spend time imagining, like, ooh, what i do if I win the lottery. Yeah, but you probably ain't. So spend your time <laughs> on something that you have some control over. Something that you can put your hand to. Like, imagine what it would be like if you really lost those 20 pounds you wanted to lose. You got control over that. Imagine what it would be like if you really saved $1,000. You got control over that. Imagine what it would be like if you quit being a butthole to your
your spouse. You got control over that. You have control over those kind of things. So you can imagine what it would be like. Man, what would it be like if we weren't cussing this thing out? Man, what would it be like if we weren't always mad? What would it be like if our kids didn't see us doing that? What would it be like if we actually took a vacation and it wasn't a, a big blow up? And the reality of it is most people don't spend time imagining. But imagination is part of this vision. So you've got to learn to imagine. And then when you imagine, it gives you something to set goals to. It gives you something to set goals to. When you begin to imagine, imagination is this thing that gets, here's, here's how your brain works. Your brain really doesn't know whether you're imagining something real or false. You, you ever have a bad dream? And, and, and you wake up and your heart's pounding? You, you, ever, you know, some, so you, you ever have a dream of somebody chasing you? And you kicking your spouse? That's Sean said, I kick all the time. You, 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 ever, you, ever, you ever fall off a cliff and you, you wake up in a bit? <gasps> Your brain doesn't know that that wasn't real. Your brain doesn't distinguish what you think about or real or false. Your brain just knows that that is what you're programming it to think. And so whatever it is in there, it's what it goes after. It's why if you focus on healing, your body will begin to heal itself. It really will. It's why if you begin to focus on finances, you'll find all kind of ingenuitive ways to get finances into your life that you never thought about before. Because whatever your mind focuses on, that's what you go after. That's why so many people lives look like reality TV. Because they spend so much time watching it. They spend so much time watching reality television, then their life becomes reality TV. So that's why they date 12 people, because they be watching The Bachelor. That's why every time they go out to eat, they end up getting into a fight throwing water in people's face because they watch Atlanta Housewives. <laughs> That's the reason they can't speak in a marriage because they always spend time watching divorce court. So you, whatever you put in your eye gate is what's going to get inside of you. And whatever gets inside of you is what grows. And whatever grows is what blossoms. Whatever blossoms becomes who you are. So if it happens on the negative side, you can reverse it and have it happen on the positive side. Amen? Listen, the Bible says where there is no vision, you cannot be yoked together. You need to have a vision that brings you together where marriage is concerned. Your marriage must be a place where you have taken the time to come to a common vision. You, I, it, it, it's almost like one of those things where people be like, well, you know, we just going to wing it. Some things you can wing, some things you shouldn't wing. Your marriage is not something you should wing. You should not wing it. The Bible tells us that success leaves what? Clues. If you have a bunch of people who you spend a bunch of time with, and they have a bunch of jacked up relationships, if you're not careful, your relationship will be jacked up too. Because your environment is doing what? Always working on you. Say that. Say, my environment is always working on you. I remember I hung around this dude one time, and he always used to, he, always, he would refer to his wife as his ball and chain. I don't, now, he didn't even say it like he was mad, but he just kept saying it all the time. And do you know what kind of visual that depicts? A ball and a chain is what they used to use to keep people from running away. So you, you, you refer to your relationship as something you would like to get away from, but you can't. And so we, was, we started talking about it, and he said, well, you know, I just always say, because my daddy said that. 
I said, well, well how was the relationship? He said, well, you know, come to think of it, when I got a, to be an adult, my daddy divorced my mom. I said, yeah, because he spent years referring to her as his ball and chain. And if you're not careful, you'll follow that same pattern. So there are a lot of terms of endearment. Ball and chain shouldn't be one. Just in case I wasn't real clear, because y'all was kind of looking at me like, uh, what does that mean? Don't call your spouse a ball and a chain. Okay? You got to find the right kind of words to say. You know, words work. Say this, say words, words. Matter. matter. You know, I mean, find you a word that your wife likes. Find you a word that your spouse likes. It, 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 it can be their little pet name, whatever it is. It may not mean anything to you, but if your spouse likes it, find out what it is and refer to it every now and then. Those are simple things. You don't just have to spend your time. You, a, 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 a sweetheart, a baby can diffuse a whole conversation. If I call, or her, or her, or her. You're in a physical sense. Her. Her. Even if you're not in a physical sense, your spouse is. But her. Pastor <laughs> <laughs> sure said, don't give me no free pet hug. Because <laughs> when I hug people, I hug them like this. And I, like, I go, don't pet me. I get one, two, three. Sparsa, hug the ghost. All right, let's go. <laughs> but you got to find out what it is that your spouse wants then be willing to give it, amen? Amen. There has to be a vision. You have to know what you, you have to know what your spouse is looking for. And so the other thing is having a shared vision is that a shared vision motivates positive behavior. A shared vision motivates positive behavior. If you, you, you have to understand the psychology of marriage. The psychology of marriage works like this. If you give the person what they need, their behavior that you like shows up more often than not. It's the psychology of marriage. How do I know? Pablo proved it with his dogs. Now, I ain't calling nobody no dog. I'm saying the psychology of marriage. Pablo said, okay, if I ring the bell and I give you a treat, okay? He said, I ring the bell and I give you a treat. I ring the bell and I give you a treat. Now, I can ring the bell and you're going to salivate even if I don't give you a treat. So if you learn the proper way to behave, the right behavior you're looking for will show up more often times than not. And the problem is, is that sometimes in marriages, if we don't get the behavior we want, then we, we, we give back another negative behavior. Thinking that my negative behavior is somehow going to get you to change. What do I mean? I mean, you make me mad so I stop talking. Now, how is me stop talking going to get you to behave in the right kind of way? People just dig in, and then before you know it, now two people are at opposite ends trying to get what they what they want by doing things that, that's never going to get you. So you got to understand a shared vision helps you get the right behavior. For instance, in our relationship, you can ask me anything, but don't accuse me of something. Okay? You can say, strict, did you not put that food up that I had? even if you see the food right there. And I will say to you, my bad. I should have put that food up. I totally forgot. Please forgive me. But if you come in, and maybe you hadn't asked me to do it, but you thought you did, and you say to me, why didn't you put that food up? Now I have to practice all this stuff I'm preaching to y'all. 
because the natural inclination is not to get the kind of response that you really want. So so what we say to each other is, if you want me to respond like A, then I need, or like B, then I need you to respond like A. And so we have that conversation. Because when you have the conversation, then everybody is clear about what it takes to be successful. Sometimes people just want their spouse to know what they want. I said years ago, I am not no mind reader. If I was, I'd make a lot of money, but I am not no mind reader. If I was a mind reader, I'd have a lot of tickets every time they got over 100 million. You understand? I am not I, I am not a mind reader. But if you tell me what you want, I can deliver it for you. And I think sometimes, especially with women, and I just got to say this, I think sometimes women want men to be intuitive about your needs. Listen, if we was intuitive about your needs, we wouldn't need a helpmate. We need you to help us be intuitive about your needs. And all the means said amen. Tell me what you need. Now, that don't mean that, I, that once you tell me what you need, I can't find inventive ways to give it to you. But I have to originally know what you need. And I'm trying to help you have a successful marriage. And if you keep reading Cosmo, and you keep watching the TV, and you keep doing all this stuff, listen, it's called TV for a reason. Television is for entertainment. You ever notice on television, they always end up together? They always end up together. In the movies, here's how it's going to go. The dude's going to mess up. He's going to realize that he messed up. The girl's going to get fed up. She's going to run away. The dude's going to be talking to his friends about how he messed up. And his friend's going to say, but strict. If you love her, go get her. And he going to run too. And he going to get to the airport. And guess what? She going to be gone. And everybody in the movie is going to be like, no, no, no. He going to walk out. And she going to come out the back. And he going to be like, you did It's TV, man. It's TV. It's TV. It happens the same way every time. And if you wait on dude to run after you, he may not. <laughs> you better tell him what you want while he's there. Because that would never work for me. <laughs> if, now, now. I run after you now. We got 22 years. But if you have ran on year three, I'd have been like, too good. <laughs> So, 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 ladies, don't let TV get you standing at the airport and you think he's coming and <laughs> he's going to be able to show up. I'm telling you. You, <laughs> you got to have a shared vision. In fact, we, act, we laugh, but it's a conversation we've had. She's safe. If I get mad and leave, I want you to run after me. Okay, now I know. Because before, I wasn't going nowhere. But now I know. If you leave, I'm supposed to chase you. <laughs> it's the power of having a shared vision. Listen, there are three sources of vision for your marriage. Write these down. There are three sources of vision. Where do you get vision for your marriage? Number one, you get, a, you get vision from the written word of God. You get vision from the written word of God. The Bible tells you what your marriage should look like in some respects. People say all the time, the woman is supposed to submit to the man. And that's true, but you don't read the scripture before that. 
The scripture before that says they are to submit one to another. They all submit one to another. And the reality of it is a woman don't have a problem submitting to a man who is following God. That's just, that's just the truth. They don't, have, they don't have any problem, any issue following you as long as you're following God. If you prove yourself to be a good decision maker, if you prove yourself that when you say you're going to do something, you're going to follow through, if you show up every time, they don't mind trusting you. But if you're a jack leg and every time they tell you to do something or every time you say you're going to do something, you, you end up not doing it. You say, oh, honey, I'm, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and you don't ever do it. When y'all get in a tough spot, you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do. you got to figure it out. And you always advocate to her. Why would she follow you? I say, that, I, I say to my wife all the time, at the end of the day, we share responsibilities financially. But at the end of the day, as a man, it's my job that if she says she can't handle it, then I'll pick up another job if I have to. I do whatever is necessary to take care of my family. It falls on me. You don't get to be the leader and then advocate responsibility. You just don't. You just don't. You don't get to be the leader. You, you don't get to be the leader when it's good, and then when it's bad, go, no, you got to lead. You know, you, you, don't, you don't get to be the leader, and then you spend all the money, and now the, the, the bill collectors are calling, and you're talking about, well, you got to call my wife. You got to talk to her. Her number is. No, no, no. It, you you, you want to be the leader? You got to be the leader in good times and the leader in bad times. And the church said, amen. 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 And, 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 it's, and, and, you know, and I love it because when I talk to my spiritual sons, if you talk to them, every one of them would tell you the exact same thing I just said. And I don't know if they just believe that or we just had enough conversation about it, but it, there, there is nothing better than having a group of men by my side who at the end of the day, we feel like it's our responsibility. Yes, you are our help me, but at the end of the day, the, the, the way all the rest right here. It all rests right here. And at the end of the day, you should. And the shared vision should be that. You know, my wife will tell you, if I tell, if I say to my wife, hey, babe, I need some help. You know, we're we trying to do this, this, this. Listen, she's going to hustle. She's going to grind. She's going to do whatever she got to do to help me. And I know that. But that's because she knows that I have a track record over time where at the end of the day, I ain't leaving her out there by herself to take care of everything. You know, and I can't stress that. I mean, you know, men want to men want to lead. We want women to submit and all this other stuff. But then at the end of the day, when all the stuff comes tumbling downhill, you want to move out the way and have somebody else do the responsibility. The reality of it is if we didn't have church this morning, it was my fault, period. It was my fault. But but at the same time, if it's my fault, it's also my it's also my reward that it got fixed. And so as men, we have to see it that way. Yes, my wife is going to submit to me. That just simply means I have a greater responsibility to make sure I get this thing right. That, that's what that's what submission means. I have a greater responsibility to get this right because my wife, my kids, anybody else who is dependent on me is dependent on me to get it right. Now, now most people who hear that, if they smart, they go, "Okay, I really need to depend on God." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, if, if, if all this is, is falling on me, I better, I better lean on somebody who's smarter than me. And that's why a woman doesn't mind, doesn't, doesn't mind following a man who is following God. Because in essence, she knows that as long as he's following God, that neither one of them are going to fail. Say shared vision. So we get shared vision from the written word. The second place or the second source we get it is from the Holy Spirit. Sometimes Holy Spirit will just tell you what you need to do. He'll just tell you. He'll just tell, he'll speak to you about what you need to do. When you pray and when you seek Holy Spirit for direction, the Bible says if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. God gives to him a liberally and unabraded. In other words, he says God will give you more than
rely on him. And the, th- the third thing that we get, the way we get vision for our marriage is through godly examples. Say godly examples. Listen, find you somebody you can imitate. Imitation is the highest form of flattery. Find you somebody you can imitate. When me and Pastor Sean, you know, we got married in 94. 94 to 95 was great. 95, 6, 7, 8, no. Okay? So, 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 we, so, so we had some, listen, I'm just being honest with you. We had some years. Can, can I just be truthful with you? We didn't get a divorce for two reasons. One, neither one of us had $176. Okay? We was broke. And broke folk wasn't going to spend that $176 on no divorce. I had other stuff to do with my $176. <laughs> Number two, we had adopted Taylor. And we was like, yo, it's one thing to have a kid and then have him come from a broken home. But how you go out and adopt a kid and then bring and then let him come from a broken home? So our vision was, at that time, as mundane as it may have been, is we don't want to spend our money and we don't want her to be from a broken home. So we're either going to be miserable or we're going to fix it. And we decided to fix it. Praise God. Amen. But, 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 but at some point, at some point, you've got to decide in your relationship What's your big why? What is your big why? C- c- because cause you can say things like, we're going to stay together for the kids. Your kids ain't stupid. Your kids see you fussing. They see you arguing. They see, we, we know people who have finally gotten divorced. And the kid was like, oh, I'm so glad mama divorced daddy. They was like, I love both of them, but I'm so glad they ain't living together no more. You think that's doing something good for your kids? It's not. It's not. What you're showing them is how to exist in dysfunction. And what you don't want to do is teach your kids, especially men who have daughters, you don't want to teach your daughter how to grow up in dysfunction. You don't want to have an example where she says, I love my daddy, and my daddy acted like that, so if my husband acting like that, it must be okay. No! And you can say, my, my daughter's smarter than that. That's what everybody says. But somebody's daughters are doing it. So you got to be intentional. you got to be intentional. I, listen, I, I try my best not to ever promise my kids something that don't fall through. So I'm careful about what I promise. They say, can we go to the movies? I go, I don't know. Let me see. That means maybe, yeah, maybe no. They say, can we go to the movies? I go, probably so. That means yes, but maybe not today. My kids know that. They say, can we go to the movies? I go, yep, we're going to go on Wednesday. They know that no matter what happens on Wednesday, we're going to go. That means if I got to call off work, if I got to cancel a meeting, if I make a promise, I'm keeping it. Why? Because I want to show them how God works. I want them to see. I want them to listen. Some people have an issue believing and trusting God because of what they saw their parents doing. They saw their daddy not being honest with their mama, their mama not being honest with their daddy, and, and they were just like, "Well, if, 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 if that's how they act, then that's how God is." Now, they may not consciously be aware that that's what they're thinking, but that's the reason I have so many people in my life who embrace me as a father and go, oh, my God, you're such a good father. Man, I ain't nothing compared to God. I'm good because you're comparing it what you've seen. But trust me, I fail when it comes to being a father compared to God. So if you can look at me and go, oh, man, you're a good father, imagine how good God is. That's what I want my girls to say. I want my girl and my sons too to say, you know what? If my dad was like this, then God is the bomb. How do we teach them that? We teach them that we just to do 
That's why God created it. That's why, did you notice God created Eve first? Not little Roderick and Brandon first. He didn't, he, he didn't make Adam and then give him some little kids and then bring the family unit along. He, he just didn't do it that way. That, that, that's not to say that if it happened that way, God can't, can't fix it. I'm just saying God has an intended way for things to work out. And so if you are married and if you have kids, what we want you to do is just not just stay married. We want you to stay happily married. Amen? Sometimes people get blurry vision. And they get blurry vision because they allow other people to put input into their vision. Just because something works for Chris and Valley doesn't mean it's going to work for Grandma Nathan. And even if it works for both of them, don't mean it may work for us. And it don't mean that if it works for all three of us, right the time may say, that ain't nothing we can do. You've got to learn what works for you. Now, you can hear people and you can see good examples, but at the end of the day, there's only two people in your marriage, you and your spouse. So you've got to find out what things can work. Pastor and I can't, I can't tell you the number of times we've counseled with people and we've said to people, here's how we resolve tough issues. We sit down beside each other and we text each other. We send emails to each other because email and text takes the tone out. If I send you an email and I say, well, I don't like how that happened, and you read it like, I don't like how that happened, you be like, I don't like how that happened. The tone is on you. So we have learned that when we're communicating that way, we express no tone. I just read the words. Unless you put something in all caps. Because you know you put something in all caps, you're yelling at people. You're hollering at them. So unless it's in all caps, I don't put any, we don't put any tone on it. And we've said, people said, you know, we tried that. That just don't work for us. We said, well, you got to find a way. Because not communicating is not the key. And if you tell me that every time you actually start talking to each other, you're interrupting each other and you're cussing each other out, that ain't going to work either. So you've got to find a way. And so and we've had people come back to us and go, you know what, that really does work. It really helps. And we don't do it about every conversation, but I mean, we have a lot of conversations via messenger, via text. Why? Because the things we talk about, especially when, here's what, here's what we have to be careful of. I want to give you an example. We don't talk about somebody adding to your vision, right? We pastor people, right? So we not only pastor you, but there literally are people all across the country who email us all the time about their marriage situations. They'll get the book, they'll read it, and then they want to have questions. But we, I have to be careful, and she does too, that we don't get to talking, and, I, and sometimes we be like, you know, hold on, time out. That wasn't our issue. That was somebody else's issue. Let's not bring their issue and make it ours. We good. Because we have comments, because people email us some, some pretty serious things, and so we discuss them and we talk about them, and we're both passionate people, so maybe I see her point of view and he see the guy's point of view, and we get to talk about it, and if we're not careful, it's almost like we, like it's our issue. I'm like, time out. We, we, we going we to come tonight. We good. We ain't got no issue. And so we, we have to, and so you have to make sure that when you're hanging out with your friends, when you when you hanging out with your friends, that their issues don't become shared vision, shared being you and your spouse, not other folk. Shared vision. So let me give you real quick some benefits to writing your vision. Number one, a written vision causes you to clearly define what you desire. These are the benefits to having a written vision. The Bible tells us in Habakkuk to write the vision down and make it what? Plain. It says write it down and make it plain. So if you write it down, one of the benefits is that a written vision causes you to clearly define what you desire. 
For instance, you can't stay in your marriage. People used to say stuff like this. Well, we want more money in our marriage. Well, what's more? $10? If you get $10, that's more than you had. But is that enough? Does that define it? You've got to be clear in your definition of what you want. And a vision helps you to be clearly defined. You know, um, we all adults in here. So we were, we were talking to a couple one time. And, and, and it's important that you and your spouse are in the same ballpark where sex is concerned. It's important. Sex is an important part of a relationship. It just is. And, and if you've got a person and their idea is once a week and the other person's idea is once a day, somebody's going to be frustrated sometimes. So you you, you got you to gotta come together on, on what that looks like. And, and not for it to be rigid, but, you know, you've you got to have a conversation about, hey, this is what's important to me. And, and it could be a lots of things. One of the other parts could be like, well, you know, I would like to do it, you know, I like to be intimate more. If, 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 if you clean up, I can't, that's hard for me to have, you know, good stuff happening when the house is dirty. Different people have different things, right? I like my kitchen to be clean. If my kitchen clean, it can be on. But i got to clean it. The kitchen got to be clean first. It's just got to be clean. So you got to have a conversation that says, all right, I know what you need, and I'm willing to give it to you so that I get what I need. The same thing is true where spending is concerned. If you are a person who don't spend a lot and the other person spends a lot, you got to have a conversation about, okay, when you see these sales, what does that really mean? Because I hate when people say, well, I saved $100. No, you didn't. You spent 200 <laughs> To save means you didn't go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it means you didn't spend nothing. <laughs> no, you know, don't tell me you spent you you saved a hundred dollars when the receipt say two hundred one sixteen. No, you spent two hundred and one sixteen. Now maybe they was gonna charge you three hundred one sixteen, but you ain't saved a hundred. You spent two hundred. Are we clear? <laughs> so you gotta talk about those things. Number two, the second benefit of having a written vision. A written vision sets the guidelines for your decision making. A written decision the guidelines for your decision making. For example, if you have young children, I can't stress to you how important it is that you have a date night. Your life cannot be your kids. Can I help you? They're going to grow up and get friends of their own and they're not going to want to hang with you all the time. So if you have neglected each other for 15 years, now all of a sudden you think y'all going to be in bliss, You've got to make sure that spending time with your spouse, absent of your children, is a priority. I don't care how much you love them. I don't care how cute they are. They're going to be fine. They're going to be fine. Listen, you ain't the first person to have kids. You ain't the last person to have kids. Somebody else can take care of your little beautiful baby. And if you ain't got nobody you trust, find somebody. But you cannot neglect your spouse. You just can't. You have to have a written, shared vision. So that let's say you live in a place where your family and friends are, right? And it's date night. And let's say that your mom or daddy, they come by and they're like, hey, we're just in the neighborhood and we want to stop by and say hello, hang out and talk for a little while. If you have a written, shared vision, you don't have a problem saying, that's great, but we're about to go on a date, so we're going to have to catch out tomorrow. Now, see, a lot of people are like, well, oh, my God, they drove all this way. You didn't call first? I'm sorry. If something's important to you, you don't let other things get put on the back burner. When me and my wife decide to go out, if it ain't fire, flood, or blood, we go. 
Why? Because it's important to us. I travel. So if I got to be gone, when I come home, we're going to spend some us time. I'm going to spend some time with the kids and with the family. But we, we understand that in the eight years from now, Which is go and do what? Pull a copy of your 
really speaks to your credit worthiness or your excellence in how you take care of your business. So it is important that you have a good credit score, even if you never intend to use it. And so I pulled it, and I looked at it, and it wasn't bad, but it wasn't excellent either. And so I started spending time, me and Pastor Sean, about, okay, what does this mean? What does this mean? How do they figure this? What's the determining factor for why this goes over, why this goes down? And the reality of it is, we had been paying, like, all of our bills. And by paying all of our bills and trying to do everything on a cash system, it was actually hurting our credit score. It actually was. So all the stuff that I thought I knew, I was wrong about. And so once we figured out what, how to play the game, before you know, within a year's time, between last January and this year, 113 points my credit score went up. Why? Because somebody gave us information, we got on the same page, had a shared vision, and we were able to measure our progress. And if you write things down, you can measure your progress. Remember what the second assignment was? It was to keep all of your... Why did he tell us to keep our receipts? He was trying to show us how to measure your progress. How much are you spending? The reality of it is if you don't write it down, you don't know. And if you don't write certain things down with your marriage, you won't know how you'll respond to it. But if you write them down, you know exactly what it is that you're going to do. Amen? All right. One of the last things I want to talk about is this. John 10 and 10 says this. It says, the thief comes only in order that he may steal and kill and destroy. It says, but Jesus says, I came that they may have life and they may have it in abundance to the full, to it overflows. When you decide to put these things into place and you begin to grow your marriage into something that God is proud of, it does these four things. It applauds God. It astounds man. It attracts unbelievers. And it aggravates the devil. It, uh, it applauds God when people see. Here, here's what even the critics cannot disagree about. When people look at Michelle and Barack's marriage relationship, you cannot like their policies. You cannot like the color of their skin. You can like you. They hadn't had any scandals. None. And even the critics have to say. That is the kind of relationship that we'd like to see. A man who clearly adores his wife, a man whose wife clearly adores him, and the two of them who clearly love their children. It is a picture of what God wants for all of us. And so it applauds God. So you're, so we want you to have a great marriage because when people look at you, they go, oh, you have such an awesome marriage, and they ain't just seeing the Facebook you. Instagram you, the snap you, but when they are seeing an authentic marriage relationship, it applauds God. The second thing it does is it astounds man because people tell you, the experts are telling you that people don't do marriage anymore. Monogamy is on its way out the door. Not for folks who believe God. Not for people who believe God. You know, you got people trying to rewrite the Bible say, well, you know, it's a different time, it's a different culture, people should be having sex now before marriage. Listen, you start having sex before marriage, I'm telling you, one of the things that we're not going to talk about today, but we'll talk about next week, is that when you are in a marriage relationship, you have to learn to leave the past in the past. If you are just sleeping around, it's hard to leave the past in the past. I 
believe last week, Pastor Sean, I was listening to her message. I think she told y'all it was called a highlight reel. Y'all don't need to have no highlight reels. I'm like, what's a highlight reel? Don't worry about it. The fact that you don't know, maybe me and you ain't got one. For those of you who do, bless the Lord. But you got to make sure that your marriage is something that men, that people look at and go, you know what, marriage is possible. Having a good relationship is still possible. Loving one man or loving one woman is possible. Getting married and then having kids is still not foreign. Getting married, then having kids, is not a foreign concept. It's is the intended way. It just is. And it don't matter whether you have one out of wedlock or not. The Lord is still bless you. But the intended way is what God had in mind. It, 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 so, so a good marriage, we say it applauds God, astounds man, it attracts unbelievers. A good marriage, if we have a church that is full of people who are happy in their marriage, it will attract unbelievers. Because they really do want to know. They really do want to know, is this, is this live or is it Memorex? Y'all remember those commercials? Is it live or is it Memorex? They, people want to know, all right, do y'all really love each other like y'all say y'all do? Y'all just do because of Jesus. Y'all really like each other like that? Y'all really love each other? Or y'all just put it? And that's the reason we invite people to watch eat with us. That's why we invite people to come to our house. Look. It may not be pretty, but you get what you get. <laughs> we, 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 don't, we, we don't have time to put on pretense and airs and all that. You get strict and shine the way you get us. We are who we are. If you can't take us, it's okay. But, but, we, but we have to be authentically who we are. And you know what I have found? People love authenticity. They really do. People love, they, they love knowing that if I talk to you today, and I talk to you two weeks from now, you're going to be the same person. You're going to be the same person. You know, when I, when, I, when I first started, you know, using Facebook and talking, you know, I, I, I'm silly. I like to laugh. I like to have fun. I say, I try to be appropriate as I can and, 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 and all that stuff. I do. 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 Because it's a whole lot of stuff that comes through my mind. <laughs> but I don't share that stuff. My wife, she can just like it. She'd be like, so I try to be as appropriate as I can, but at the end of the day, you know, there were people who said, oh, I can't believe you're a pastor. You, you, you would say something like that and you would laugh at that. You can always unfriend me. <laughs> and so now I got, you know, a group of people who just know who Strick is. They just love me for who I am. And that's the kind of relationship you want to be in. You want to be in authentic relationships. All right? So, and then the last thing we said is that it aggravates the devil. It, attra- it applies God, astounds man, attracts unbelievers, and it aggravates the devil. The devil understands that if there's one institution he can attack, it's marriage. Because if he attacks it and it splits up, it becomes public. And the devil always wants to expose something publicly. He's always looking for an opportunity to put it on show that God's people didn't get it right. And, and not just about marriage, but in any situation. You know, that's why we tell people, you got to get seen out your life. Because if you don't get seen out your life, the devil will wait for just the perfect 
opportunity to expose you. You do something when, when, when nobody knew your name, and now you now everybody know your name, and then he brings that thing from years ago up so everybody can see. Because that's how he works. He wants everybody to, 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 to get to know you so then he can expose you. And that's, and that's the reason we believe that, that when we have strong marriage, it really does aggravate the devil. I know last week Pastor Sean gave me those, those, those eight principles about possessing an amazing marriage. I'm not going to touch those. I'm just going to stop right here. We started church a little late, and, and I think it's a good place for us to, to, to kind of just stop right here. We talked about vision today. We'll tie in vision to those eight principles a little late because we, we're going to spend as much time as we need talking about family. But I really want you to get this. What I'm talking about today doesn't just apply to a marriage relationship. Some of y'all find yourself always in conflict with your friends. And some of it is because y'all haven't had a real conversation about what you expect out of the relationship. I got a really good friend. I used to call her my best friend, but my wife told me that she's my best friend. So now I got a really good friend.
I say that again? Just because you and your spouse don't fuss, don't mean you don't have problems. Just because you're not talking, don't mean there aren't issues. You have, there's, it's, you are two imperfect people. There's no way two imperfect people are going to live together if you don't have some kind of conflict. So you got to be mature enough, you got to be grounded enough, and you got to have enough courage to have those crucial conversations. It's the same thing about, about our relationship with each other in church. If we got somebody doing something in church and we don't like it, don't, don't tell other people. You know, somebody, somebody in the church and, 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 and you know something that they're doing is, is, is not good for the body, you ain't got to go tell 20 other people and hope that somebody else is going to tell them. If it's an issue, you go talk to them. The Bible says if a brother has an ought with his brother, what's his first thing he's supposed to do? Go to him. He said, then if, it, then if you can't work it out, then you get an elder. You get somebody with some maturity. That's what that means, not a title. It means you get somebody with some maturity. There's a whole lot of folk with titles who know with no maturity. But you get somebody with some maturity to go and mediate it. And then if that doesn't happen, it says, then you bring them to the head. And you guys discuss it. And so we want to make sure that we're operating with biblical integrity in our marriage and all of our relationships. Amen? Come on, give the Lord some praise this morning.